0: In the fifth grade or younger than that, you're welcome at this time to go to the children's service downstairs. Not to put anyone on the spot, but I just want to give a round of applause and appreciation to Isaiah. This is his first Sunday to play the drums. He's been at home practicing, and um, this is his debut, and Isaiah, thank you for taking the time and effort to do that. I really appreciated that this morning very much. I want to begin a new series this morning of messages. We're going to be talking about the subject of prayer. And I've given the series a title and a subtitle. The first, the title, the main question is, Why Pray? And that really gives you a little background into how I'm going to be approaching this. Um, It differs from my usual approach to preaching the Scripture, which, as you know, is a verse-by-verse exposition uh, through a book, typically, called Expository Preaching Verse by Verse, coincidentally enough. And uh, this is topical preaching. It's not something that I do all the time, but I felt that God was laying this on my heart to address the topic of prayer. But secondly, I'm approaching it from a different perspective than I often do, and that is, I want to answer questions. ...that people have about prayer. And so, each message is going to be aimed at answering questions about prayer. And so I want to give you an invitation. I've kind of done an an unofficial survey, and I've also put down on paper the questions I've heard over the years. And I'm going to be kind of collating them according to theme... ...and talking about them in the weeks to come. But I want to invite you, if you have questions about the subject of prayer that you've never had adequately answered. I'm not going to guarantee I'm going to adequately answer it, but if you have a question, I want to invite you to send it in to me. Either uh, uh, write it on a note and leave it in the offering uh, plate someday, or send me an email. You can send it to churchmchenryalliance at com, and uh, I'll take those questions and fold them into the process as we seek to address the subject of why pray. My subtitle is Becoming a Friend of God, Becoming God's Friend. And that's kind of a, uh, the other end of the spectrum. The first question is, why? What, what is this all about? And then the sub-point is, is it possible to be God's friend? Does God have favorites? Every single person can be his child, but does he have favorite children? Does he have Special friends, who is it that gets near the heart of God in an emotional, intimate connection with the living God? Who does he take into his confidence? And so I'm going to be addressing that issue in the weeks to come, and I hope that you will make it your ambition. You know, sometimes ambition is a good thing. I hope that you will make it your ambition to become a friend of God. We're actually going to study the scriptures on that topic to see if friendship with God above and beyond the norm is possible and attainable for you. So this morning I want to begin by just asking the question, why should we pray? And just kind of let you know on the front end that, that many, many Christians wonder that very question. They wonder because they have often prayed without answer. They have asked God for things and it's never happened. And you know, when I was a child, I used to get this in Sunday school literature, and um, it, it would say, you know, God always answers prayer. Sometimes it's yes, sometimes it's no, sometimes it's wait a while. And I don't know about you, but that kind of leaves me just a little bit deflated Because that's true. You could say that just about anything and everything. I mean, you know, it's either yes, no, or maybe. Okay, all right. But what I wanted to know was, okay, but how do I know that God is going to hear me and God is going to answer my prayers? I want action. I'm not just doing this so I'll feel better. I want things to happen. I want change to occur. And so, is that possible? And many Christians wonder that because uh, prayer for them, you know, is kind of like um, is kind of like hit or miss. Not too long ago, I went out to, to go trap shooting with a friend here, invited me to go trap shooting with him. And I don't, I may be way off base with some of you. I don't know how many of you know anything about trap shooting, but normally you use a long-barreled shotgun with a full choke so that you can keep those little pellets together after that clay pigeon. And I found out we couldn't share a gun. Never been to this place before and found out you couldn't share a gun. So I went home to get one uh, that is not a trap gun. It's a, it's a short-barreled shotgun that many years ago, uh, is this too much information? <laughs> many years ago, I carried when I was a police officer. And uh, 18-and-a-half-inch barrel, it's real short, <laughs> 12-gauge. And, you know, the shot leaves the barrel, the trap shot leaves the barrel and goes, and if one pellet gets anywhere close to that clay bird, you know, shooting with a gun like that, it's just a real stroke of luck. So I think out of 20, 20 pulls, I got one. It was pretty embarrassing. And people are laughing at me for having such a ridiculous gun. But, uh, you know, they're, they're all, all the real pros out there, you know, they're just kind of, you could tell. Even if they didn't say anything, they had a little twinkle in their eye. Boy, this guy's a real idiot. I knew the problem, okay, but it's just there wasn't any other choice, but many people's praying is like that you you're you're praying with a scatter gun, and you got number nine shot, little tiny pellets, and you're just blowing it out there, and every once in a while something hits, and so you keep doing it because you keep thinking, Well, if I just throw up enough, you know eventually I'll get another one but uh man that's that's tiring, and it's frustrating because. You never know when it's going to be a hit or a miss. And I really want to home in on that issue. How can I pray in such a way that, that forget, forget the full choke, long-barreled trap gun. I want a rifle. I want to home in on the bullseye, and I want to nail that thing every time. How can I do that in the matter of prayer? How can I be that confident and that precise? And so I want to address this morning, why is it that some of our prayers just kind of bounce off the ceiling and others of them seem to get through? And and how do I reconcile that experience with Jesus' promises in John chapters 11 through 16 when he says no less than seven times, ask whatever you wish. And it will be done for you. Okay, and and we read that. And in the same passage, he says another thing. Up until this time, you have asked for nothing. Ask in my name that it will be done for you. And so, how many of you faithfully end your prayers in the name of Jesus? Amen. How many of you do that? See your hands? Does anybody never do that? Let's try that. Some of you are not awake this morning. <laughs> you don't know what I'm talking about yet. You're still out there shooting trap. Okay. All right. But we've been, we've been taught that the way you're supposed to pray is at the end you say, in Jesus' name, amen. And that's like the magic phrase. And I put that phrase on the prayer and it's got oomph. That's got it's a little, little more power. I'm not going to carry my analogy any further. I was really tempted, but I'm just not going there. (laughs) But I get that little extra boost when I say in Jesus' name, amen, because isn't that the way he taught us to pray? But does it make a difference? Do you get more hits when you say in the name of Jesus? Or is it the same? We probably all pray like that with the same average. So what is the issue? How can we understand prayer... In such a way that we know when we're on target, and we know when really we've only just begun the conversation. I called this morning's message, The Prayer of the Soul and the Prayer of the Spirit. It's not a new title. If you've been here as long as I have, you've heard it once or twice before. It's one of the few sermons I've preached six or seven times in my life. Not the same one. I didn't drag out the same notes. I studied everything fresh. I was talking uh, with Mike last night. We were visiting with Ann and Dewey, and I was talking with Mike a little bit, and I said, you know, it's kind of like uh, the difference between taking out a frozen cake and, ta- and baking one fresh from scratch. It's the same recipe, but I just started over, and I looked everything up, and I studied everything because I want to bring this freshly to you this morning. But by the same token, it's not a new concept. But I want to say to you that it is... The concept of the prayer of the soul and the prayer of the spirit is just a title I gave it. Okay, you won't find that in the Bible per se. Some people were concerned about that. Where do you find that in the Bible? Well, you don't. I just applied these terms. And the reason I did is because I'm kind of using Watchman Knee's understanding of, of the human being that we're body, soul, and spirit, and the soul is where you live. That's your mind, your will, your emotions. That's the core of your personality. And then we also have a place inside of us that is responsive to God. It's our human spirit. And when we're born again, it's that spirit that comes to life. And God's spirit comes in and lives there and resides in us, spiritually speaking, in the realm of the spirit. And so I'm drawing this distinction between prayers that arise out of my heart and will upward to God from the earth to heaven, as Watchman Nee would say, in distinction from those prayers that have now had some conversation in the presence of God and now are authoritative in the spiritual realm coming from heaven back down to earth as divine commands. Because... In spending that time with God, in communion with Him, I have come to recognize His purpose. And with authority from the throne, I pray, back down to the earth, your will be done on earth the way it is done in heaven. So, when I say the prayer of the soul and the prayer of the spirit, don't don't uh, make an icon out of that. Don't take it too far and and make it some, you know, oh, this is some secret inside stuff. You know, this is just just a way of understanding the idea that a lot of times when we pray, what we're doing is merely expressing our feelings and thoughts and desires to God. But I submit to you this morning that that's only the beginning of the process. But it is a legitimate part of the process of prayer. When you look at prayers in the Bible, particularly in the Psalms, you know, if you read the Psalms and you, and you spend much time there, you find all kinds of praying. Sometimes David is just ecstatic or one of the other Psalm writers is just caught up in the presence of god and he says something like oh magnify the lord together with me let's praise his name together the lord is good you know and 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 you have those kind of exuberant just exaltation god you're fantastic sometimes you read the psalms and you get god i hate my enemies so bad I just want you to pulverize them, smash them, take their little children and dash them on the rocks and just beat them down. Lord, just get even with these people. You know, and you say, man, did that come out of a, you know, a follower of God? Where's that coming from? And you read those kind of psalms that we call the imprecatory psalms where David is just wanting to pummel his enemies and he's asking God to do it for him. You probably had that thought every once in a while when you prayed. You can identify with David. Some prayers are questioning and probing. How many times have you found yourself, even if you haven't dared to say it out loud, how many times have you said, God, why? I don't get this. I don't understand. You know, if you're in heaven, you're on your throne, and you've got all the power, what's going on down here? I don't get this. I don't know why this is happening. I don't know why it's happening to me. I've served you all my life. Have you ever said that? I've been faithful. Don't look too closely at that statement, but you know, it comes out, I've been faithful. Why are you doing this to me? Like there's this, you know, some prayers come out of a burning desire that we have. A yearning. Sometimes they're high and lofty desires. Lord, save my child. Save my, I'm talking about the eternal salvation. Save my spouse. Save my parents. Lord, save this person. Sometimes, sometimes they're much less eternal, but also coming from a yearning in our heart as we come to God. Oh, please, God, let this happen. Please let this be. We come yearning for him. And then sometimes we have seen the mind of God so clearly. We have caught hold of what he wants. And by faith we have taken hold of that vision and said, Yes, Lord, in the name of Jesus, do this thing. And we find that oftentimes God rushes in and things dramatic happen. I want you to know this morning that that all these kinds of prayers that I've just mentioned and probably more are all legitimate. We find examples of them in the Bible. We find faithful people praying this way. In fact, God always invites us to come to Him. Jesus said in Luke 18, verse 1, He said, Men ought always to pray and not to faint. So when should you pray? Whenever you feel faint. No. All the time. There is nothing that is off limits for God in terms of communicating with Him. He invites us to come. It's like his lap is open and his arms are stretched out. And he says, come, tell me what's on your heart. In fact, Peter gives us this imagery so clearly when he says in 1 Peter 5-7, cast all your anxiety upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. He cares for you. Jesus said to his disciples, Matthew records it in the 11th chapter of his gospel. Come unto me, Jesus is saying, all you that are laboring and burdened down, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and there you will find rest for your soul. We don't live in that farming kind of agrarian economy like they did. And that illustration may be just slightly lost on us, but they knew that when you wanted to train a young oxen that was not a young ox, that was not uh, mature and hadn't plowed or done work before, that you paired that young kind of a headstrong ox with a more mature, strong, experienced ox that knew how to plow and knew how to follow the commands of the master. And you put them in the yoke together because the strong one would carry the load and carry the burden and guide and, and eventually the young one would catch on. And what Jesus was saying to his disciples was, come under my yoke. It's a double yoke. Come under beside me. I will carry the load. I will show you how this is done. And you can rest there. I'll bear your burden. You can rest there. And if you ever hit a spot in life, you say, I don't know how to do this, Lord. I've never been this way before. He says, come to me and take my yoke and learn from me. Walk beside me. I'll carry the load and show you how it's done. Isn't that a beautiful image? God invites us to come. Paul says in the letter to the Philippians, don't be anxious. Don't don't be fretting and worried about all kinds of things. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, with prayers and yearnings and supplication, crying out, come and let God know what your desires are. And this He promises. He does not say in that verse, God will give you everything you ask for. What He says is, and, and you will have the peace of God, which goes beyond comprehension. You won't be able to explain it but you'll have a peace from God that is beyond comprehension. And it will rule in your heart and in your mind. And where do you worry? <laughs> Up here with all the thoughts that you just just whirring around. And here where you are, are anxious and, and you're nervous and you're tense. And Paul says, don't live in that state. Come to God with everything, and cast it on Him, and He will give you the peace of God, which goes beyond comprehension, to guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. How how much more could we be convinced that it is legitimate to come to God with every concern and burden and, and issue that we have and lay it out in front of Him and say, God, this is what's on my mind. And I want to give you the example of our own Lord Jesus Christ who modeled this for us. Did you know there's only one prayer that I can think of in all the scriptures that Jesus did not have answered the way he wanted it? And it's also the only time that I recall that he ever prayed, if it be your will. And it was when he was in the garden, this very night after, we're going to talk about in a few moments, is this lengthy conversation in the, in the gospel of John and at the end of his prayer for his disciples he went out to the garden to pray until the time of his arrest and he knew what was imminently upon him and as he knelt there in the garden the scripture says the tension in his life was so strong that as he was perspiring blood was co-mingling with his sweat and he sweat drops of blood you know, physiologists have looked at that passage and said this is like the extreme of anxiety and stress when the capillaries rupture in the body because of tension and it mingles out and it looks like blood sweating out the glands. And in the midst of that, Jesus said, "Oh Father, if there is any way, if it be Thy will, let this cup pass from me. Is there any other way? He was crying from his heart because of the anticipation of of the separation and all that was going to go on as he bore the sin of the world. And yet he ended that prayer three times. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Clearly indicating that he had a desire in His humanity, to avoid that inevitable necessity of redeeming us. If there was another way to do it. But there wasn't any other way. And He willingly submitted Himself. Hebrews says, for the joy set before Him. There was no other way to to win us than to do that. And so, for the joy set before Him, He endured the cross saying, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And so we have an example of Jesus Christ Himself going to the Father and pouring His heart out, but not expecting that God was going to invent a new plan of salvation in that moment, knowing full well there was no alternative, and submitting to the will of God. And we're invited to come and pour out our hearts to the Lord. But friends, the the problem that we often run into is we stop there. We've said what we want to say, and we use the magic phrase, in Jesus' name, Amen, and then we just kind of wonder, okay, was this on target, or is this one of those lost shots? Did I hit it or did I miss it? And we need to recognize, first of all, when we begin a conversation with God by pouring out our hearts to Him, God no more promises to give us everything we ask for like that than a loving parent promises to give their child everything they ask for. Can you imagine what disasters we would have if you gave your children everything they wanted and asked you for from the time of birth, we would say that's an abusive parent. That's a neglectful parent. They're not doing the tough job of training that child to want the right stuff. They're spoiling that kid. And so God also is not promising to give us everything that we ask Him for out of that initial conversation. Too often that's where we stop. And we don't move on. God cares. Listen, this is important. God cares about how you feel. And he cares about what you think. For one thing, you may be thinking wrongly, and he wants to correct your thinking. He cares what you're thinking. He cares what you want. There is always at the Father's side compassion. And compassion, if it means nothing else, it means I feel your pain. I'm moving toward you in your need. I have love for you in this situation. But God graciously does not give us everything we want, but invites us. Okay, now that you've come to me, you've crawled up in my lap, you have told me what's on your heart. Don't run away. Just sit here for a moment. Let's talk about it. Let's have a conversation. And so many times we end before the real prayer has begun. I call that initial process the prayer of the soul. And I don't mean to make it hard and fast or ironclad or think, okay, this is a soulish prayer, oh, this is a spiritual prayer. I I don't want you to go out of here doing that. I just want you to recognize that oftentimes... And not all the time. Sometimes we begin in the Spirit, but oftentimes we come to God initially out of our emotions and feelings and thoughts, and we start a conversation as we pour our hearts out. But Jesus invites us into the prayer room, which is actually the Holy of Holies, for another kind of purpose that takes us a step further. Jesus, in that last night with his disciples, began to tell them things that he had not told them before. He he begins to draw them into some understanding. He says, I'm about to leave you. I've been with you three years, and I'm about to go away. You know, and that provokes some questions. (laughs) Where, Where are you going? We don't know where you're going. You know, We've never seen the Father. What are you talking about? You know, the the disciples haven't caught on fully, but Jesus is preparing. He says, I'm about to leave you. And he says, as I go, I'm not going to leave you by yourself. I'm going to give you my spirit. The same spirit has been in me. It's going to be in you. And so when I go away, I mean, you've seen me heal the sick. You've seen me raise the dead. You've seen me cast out demons. You've seen me deliver those in bondage. You've seen me bind up the brokenhearted. You've seen people... Come to believe in God because of my preaching and my testimony. I'm going to give you my spirit. And the things that I have done, you will continue to do. This mantle of spreading the kingdom that I have borne. What did Jesus come preaching? The kingdom of God has come to you. He says, I'm giving you that responsibility. And up until this time, you have not asked for anything in my name. But I want to tell you that you can go and you can ask in my name. You can go in my name. You can take the authority that I have had. And with my spirit and my name, as your rightful place in the kingdom, you can go and you can do what I have done. I don't know about you, but that's like, wow! That is astounding. I'm saying that this morning. We're sitting here in this room, March 8th, I think. 7th, 8th, whatever it is. 2009. And I'm telling you something earth-shaking. And, and it's like, he's preaching. That's what, that's what preaching sounds like. It has the rhythm and the drone. Marriage. What is marriage? That's the parson. I can hear Brian doing that. I, I can never do it like he does it, just like in the movie. Did you hear what I said? Jesus said, you can do what I have done. When's the last time you saw anybody do what Jesus did? Wow! Is the Bible true or not? What's going on here? And so seven times in this conversation, this last conversation with His disciples, seven times, there's significance to that, by the way, all through the Bible. The number seven has significance. It's the number of completion. The Scripture says that in six days God created the world and on the seventh day He rested. It was complete. He saw that it was very good. The Hebrew word for seven is Shabbat. And it is the root of the word Shabbat or Sabbath. It is the number of completion. You can rest here. This is the fullness of all that you need. Seven times, not by accident, because nothing is in there by accident. Seven times Jesus said, Whatever you ask of God, He will do for you. If you have a study guide, they're all printed right here, and I highlighted in yellow, all seven of them. Whatever you ask of God, He will do for you. You say, okay, what am I missing? I'm back to this study. Scatter gun. I don't have a rifle, and I'm not hitting bullseyes. So what am I missing? What you're missing is right in the middle of those seven, this little verse, verse 7 of chapter 15, where the prerequisites are mentioned. And remember that all seven of these statements were made in one conversation. You see, a a text without a context is a pretext. That's another way of saying presumption. Jesus does not say in seven different places, Oh, ask whatever you want and, and the Father will do it. In the context of this message, I'm going away. I'm placing the mantle of kingdom proclamation on you. You go do what I've done in my name. And when you go, up until this time you've asked for nothing, but you go in my name and ask the Father and He will do it for you. Right in the middle of that, he says, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. Why pray? Why pray? You know, in the front of your bulletin today, there's a couple of things printed that actually are in the uh, Pray for the City Seek God for the City, in the booklets that we have in the foyer. And there is the concept of the watchman on the wall. Those who are, again, in ancient times, the cities were walled because they were safer when they had walls around them. Enemies could not readily infiltrate the city. And if you lived in an environment that was inherently risky you had watchmen who agreed to take guard duty throughout the night and they watched from the the walls you know north and east and south and west they were the watchers and if an enemy approached they sounded the alarm and god uses that imagery that they were accustomed to as a metaphor for prayer he says I'm looking for watchers on the wall who will be alert, be vigilant, be ready to sound the alarm and go to prayer. But in another passage in the Old Testament, God says this of His people. He said, I sought for a man who would stand in the gap. Now, if your wall has a hole in it, you've already got a breach, and you're hoping to secure the city, you better post a guard in the hole. You better put somebody to stand there in the weak spot and, and, and really monitor that one so no one can sneak in. And God said, I looked for someone who would stand in the gap. And I couldn't find anybody. So destruction has come Upon my people. Now, that tells me something about God. First of all, it tells me that God wanted to spare the city, that his desire was to spare the town. And then it tells me that he looked for a kind of person who would be an intercessor, who would pray. And he couldn't find anyone to take that role. So the city was open. I don't want to get too far into the, the hokey stuff of spiritual laws. I mean, people can, can go nuts with this stuff and get way off base scripturally. But there are certain things that are true in the spiritual realm. And one of them is, is we have an enemy and there is a warfare going on. And the battles are won and lost in the heavenly realm. And the, and the people who fight, are the prayer warriors who are willing to take up the cause and stand in the gap and be those intercessors who apprehend the mind of God and who pray for it which brings his power to bear in deliverance and in victory and so in Isaiah 45:11 in a passage that most modern translations have weakened because it sounds too presumptive. In Isaiah 45, and I believe it's verse 11, the King James Version read, Thus saith the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, and His Maker, this is on the inside of your study guide if you have one, and His Maker, ask me of things to come concerning my sons, and concerning the work of my hands, command ye me. You see, and our translator said, All oh, people are going to get the wrong idea. They're going to think that this means we can give orders to God. Command ye me. Oh, we can't. We're going to have to tone that down a little bit. So, they hopefully changed the words a little bit to say, Commit the work of my hands to me. That sounds much more submissive. But J.A. McMillan, I, I started rereading his life story. Paul King has written a tremendous uh, biography of J.A. McMillan, The Authority of the Believer. Started rereading that yesterday just to, to be reminded. Here was a man who really understood this. And it was interesting about his early life because he had he had a great burden for the chinese people eventually went as a missionary to china but he was a businessman in in canada for many years until he was almost 50 years old he was a businessman in canada and in the course of business he also sought to influence jews to come to christ and in, and so he spent time with the rabbis and he learned hebrew and he latched hold of this verse because he understood the true essence of its meaning. What God is really saying here in Isaiah 45, 11 is this. Ask me concerning things to come about my people. In other words, come and ask me what I have in mind. Come learn what my goals are. And when you have... Understood my intention. Command me concerning the work of my hands. Thus be it done on earth as it is in heaven. In the name of Jesus, Lord, do this thing. Sounds like a command to me. I'm telling God what to do, but I'm not telling Him what I think He ought to do. I'm agreeing with Him. In a divine partnership, because I have spent time to find out what He wants to do. Ask me concerning things to come. And now that I have laid whole of His purposes, I have committed with Him in prayer to command Him concerning the work of His hands. And God invites us into a divine partnership. Hitherto you have asked nothing in my name. Ask. Why? Because, and this is very important, I I believe with all my heart it's biblically true. God will never do anything that he does not want to do. But he will never do anything he wants to do. If no one asks. God has a will. That he is waiting for a partner on earth. A human being to join him in. By asking. And when we ask. In faith. Nothing doubting. Jesus said you can say to the mountain. Pick yourself up and fall in the sea, and it will be done. Because you see, friends, we have no power. We have no power. We can't make anything happen. Which of you, by taking thought, can add one inch to your height or make one hair white or black? There's a lot of you that would like to make some of them black or whatever they were once upon a time. But which of you can do that? Which of you can do any of the? We have no power. In fact, I submit to you, there is no work that we can do on earth that has eternal consequence other than prayer. Armand guesswine once said, a man can do nothing until he has prayed. After he has prayed, there is nothing he cannot do. The real work is the work of prayer. The real release of power in the world is the result of prayer. God will not do anything he does not want to do. But he will not do what he wants to do if no one asks. So he sought for that intercessor to stand in the gap. No one stepped up to the plate. And the city came under attack and fell. But God's desire was for something else. And there was no one to stand in the gap. Friends, it's an amazing, amazing thing that Jesus is saying to us in these chapters of John. You can go in my name. And it doesn't mean that we add this phrase onto the end. It means that we go in the authority and the name of Jesus as His ambassadors. And in that position of influence, because we bear God's purposes, We can pray with authority, as it were, from heaven to the earth. Lord, do your will here, just as it is always done there. There are two prerequisites. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you. Now, I looked all those verses up again. I looked up every verse in the New Testament where the Greek word meno occurs which means not the little thing that swims in the water, but it means to abide. It's the Greek word to abide. Most of the time it's translated stay. Where do you stay? Where do you live? Come see the place where I am staying. Or And he came and stayed with them three days. Come see where I'm living. In other words, Jesus is saying, if you stay with me, you want you want to have the rifle on the target every time, come live with me. Abide with me. That means throughout the day, I'm operating from the center of His being. I see this world the way He sees it. I have His perspective. I have His mind. We have the mind of Christ. It's available to us, Paul says. The question is, are you listening? Are you paying attention? We have the mind of Christ. And we have the capacity to live in Jesus In the sense that we abide with Him, we stay with Him, we absorb His mind, His thoughts, His burdens, His concerns. There was a song many years ago that I used to sing. I loved it. Let me see this world through your eyes, dear Lord. Let me see it as though I were looking through your eyes. For I know if once I could see this world the way you see, I'd live my life differently. Let me see this world the way you see it. Are you abiding in Christ? Are you living in Him? And then he says, My words are abiding in you. Now, interestingly enough, the Greek word here for word is "rema." It's not logos. Logos is the Word of God. This Bible is the logos. But the rhema is when God is speaking it Alive with words to our hearts. Jesus taught the multitudes saying to them, the Rama, they were sitting, He was talking. Friends, do you know the words of Christ today for the situation that you're confronting? Has He spoken to you? I'm not trying to get freaky here, but I want you to recognize that Jesus is saying two criteria. Number one, you're living in my presence daily. Number two, you have heard my words for this situation. How do you hear the words of God? You've all had this experience. I've heard you talk about it. You say something like, you know, I was reading my Bible the other day, and I read this verse, and it just jumped off the page at me. It's just like I saw it for the first time. How many of you have had that experience? Have you? How many of you read your Bible? (laughs) No, don't answer that question. I just came alive, you say. It just came off the page. Well, what was happening? I'll tell you what was happening. The author of Scripture who penned the words of God... That in this book, this is black ink on white pages, in this book is a dead letter. I'm not blaspheming. I'm telling you the truth. Paul says the letter kills, but the Spirit brings life. You can study this Bible academically your whole life and never once know God. You can read it one day as a child in His presence and a verse leaps off the page because the Holy Spirit who inspired it in its origin has now spoken it to your heart in this moment. And you have heard the words of God. I'm giving you an illustration. One of the ways God speaks is through His Word. And you know when He's talking to you like that because it comes to life. Have you opened your Bible in the face of a pressing need and said, oh God, show me your will and your purposes. Help me understand. And you're reading and you're reading and you're waiting and you're saying, God, I need wisdom here. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Who gives to all men liberally, never chides them for asking. Lord, I'm asking for wisdom. And all of a sudden, boom, something jumps off the pages. Like, wow, the rhema of God has come to you. His Word has come to life. He's speaking to you. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, sometimes it's words that don't come out of the pages of the Bible, but it comes from the heart of God. I remember a Chinese, a missionary to China one time saying, God laid it on my heart to pray that one soul would be saved, and then it was that two would be saved, and then three, and and I prayed for that. And it had been a long period of time before anybody had been converted and yet God spoke to her heart and she began to pray. And one came to Christ and two came to Christ and three came to Christ because God was revealing His purposes and she was claiming them. And then as she went, God was saving souls. Sometimes God will give you something that didn't come right out of the book, but it comes from His Spirit as you're waiting in His presence. This is, this is what I want to do. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. Two criteria, two results. You'll have joy and my Father will be glorified. You'll have joy and my Father will be glorified. You want want an exciting life? When you and God get really tight, And you're talking to each other. And he's telling you stuff. And you're saying, do it, Lord, do it. Yes, do it. And you see it happen right in front of your eyes. It's like, whoa, this is cool. Man, God tells me things and I I claim this stuff. And there it is. People's lives are changing. Things are happening. Oh man, God is inviting you into a privileged place. Jesus went to the cross. His blood was spilled. He said it's finished. And the Gospel writers say the curtain in the temple between the Holy of Holies and the holy place from the top to the bottom, was ripped apart. God Himself tore the veil apart, saying, come in. And the writer of Hebrews says, we have thereby through the blood of Jesus obtained a new living way that we may enter into the holy place. Let us draw near with confidence to come into the presence of God. Jesus says if you are praying in this way, you can hit the target every time. Friends, most of our praying never goes there. Most of our praying is we're just throwing, you know, spit wads at the ceiling. Some of them stick, but they don't even go higher than that many times. We just meet and we tell God what we think he ought to do. You know, I, I, I need this person healed. I need that one fixed. This person needs some money. This person needs a job. This person, it's not that God's not into He cares about that stuff. He cares deeply. That's where you live. God doesn't take that lightly. But he says, come a little closer. Sit a little longer. I'm interested in my kingdom. I want my kingdom to be manifest in these circumstances. Let's talk about it. Find out what I want to do. We oftentimes never go there. But Jesus says, if you come in my name, if you have lived in my presence, if you have my perspective, if you've heard my words, and I have spoken to you in this circumstance, you can ask then what you wish. And you know why Jesus can make that claim? Because in that moment, our hearts are melted to his, and we have one will with the Father. And he says, okay, carte blanche. When you come to that place, you write the check and I'll sign it. Because our hearts are now one on this matter. And I will do what you have asked. And if we don't ask, friends, unless somebody else gets the signal, there's a good chance it will never be written. The check will never be cashed. The answer will never come. Why pray? This is the one place that God invites us to really have an impact. Be a partner with me. Come together. Let's talk. And I will show you. And you can ask. And I will act. Now there's a lot more to be said about that that I'm going to say in the future about motivation and God's heart and becoming the friend of God. But I want you to know this morning, prayer is a great privilege. It's a wonderful opportunity. It's an open invitation. It's a place where you can bring your troubled heart And begin a conversation with God. And pour your soul out to him. It's also a place where he will talk to you. In the Holy of Holies. Beneath the wings of the cherubim. You can meet with the Father. You personally. You don't need a high priest once a year. You can go there right now. In the Holy of Holies. Commune with God. Face to face. And God will tell you what's on his heart. A. W. Tozer, many years ago, said, "God tells the man, the woman who cares. God tells that person if you care." I've been listening to contemporary Christian music lately. Got this XM radio trial going in my car, and I, so I listened to the message. I've been listening, and I heard a song this morning. I don't remember all the words of it, but it was a pretty powerful song. It said um, something to the effect. I wonder what it would be to have his passion inside of me. I wonder what it would be to to give him all I've got. I wonder what it would be to have Jesus living through me. I'm tired of just going around day to day, putting up a front, just kind of living the life. I really wonder what it would take to, to let Jesus really come to life in me. That was the essence of the song. And then he said, express the desire that most of us have. I don't want to go on living day by day, just the charade game. I don't want to go playing. I I really want the real deal. But then I just go back to playing the game. What would it take to be a powerful prayer warrior? Jesus tells us. It's, It's not hard to understand. But it's another story to go there. If you abide in me, and my words are alive in you, ask what you want, and I'll do it. That the Father will be glorified in the Son, and that your joy will be full. Father, open our hearts to believe the message. But, oh God, take us a step further to surrender to the message. Lord, I pray that throughout this room this morning there would be people who have heard this last question and it will not leave their minds or their hearts until they've settled the issue with you. We're really, Lord, looking beyond mediocrity. We don't see the power of the New Testament church because we don't have the passion and the devotion of the New Testament believers. And we don't see the same works that you have done being done because we're not abiding in you. And for some, they haven't heard your words in a long time. Others have ignored the ones you've given them. And others still have never heard your voice. Lord, I pray that you'll deal with us. Never let us shrink away from that childlike, passion that runs to the Father's lap and pours out the troubles, knowing that you always receive us. But oh God, let us also hear the invitation, come be my partner, ask me concerning the future, so that you can command the works of my hand. Be a prayer warrior. Come into my presence. Lord, move upon us in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, Lord. This is something you want to do in Jesus' name now. Move among us by your Spirit and create that hunger in the lives of your people. So be it.